You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Good morning. It's good to see you. My name is AJ Hamilton, and I am on the advisory team here at this church. My family, we go to the Reading Community Group. It's good to be with you. And since you asked, I do love reading about people, uh, especially people from the last hundred years. I read mostly biographies. I'm not a really big fan of autobiographies. I think uh, those are the ones that the, the subject writes about himself. I find that uh, their self-awareness or lack thereof kind of shines through the pages, and I prefer the biographer uh, to almost provide an objective voice, adding color and context, and uh, maybe illustrating what the subject might otherwise diminish or delete. And I appreciate when I can get into their heads and see their motivations. Sometimes I can identify with that motivation and that line of thinking. Sometimes it's foreign and bizarre, but I get a different perspective on life from their lives. And I love reading about people in the scriptures. Looking at the small details, seeing what's present, what's omitted, seeing myself in their lives, their motivations, their struggles, celebrating their wins. And I don't believe we're much different from our brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers in the faith, even though we are thousands of years separated. Sure, we have amazing technology and feats of engineering, but I believe the Word of God when it says there's nothing new under the sun. And I trust that as I read about these people at the dawn of time or separated by thousands of years, I can grow in my understanding of myself, others, and my God. So when Pastor Bill asked me to uh, teach today, he said he wanted to do a series on from the book of Genesis, character studies, and call it Forgiven Failures. I said, I'm glad to help. So to start our series on Forgiven Failures, we're going to study what the scriptures reveal about the mother of all living, Eve. Primarily from Genesis chapter 1 through 4, so we have a lot of ground to cover. You'll be flipping through your app or your Bible pages a lot. Uh, Eve is the mother of all that has ever lived and ever will live. She is mother to all brothers, sons, sisters, and daughters. She's mother even to the mother of our Lord, Mary. And Eve is a forgiven failure. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for... um, the wisdom your spirit gave to Moses in this case, Lord, to uh, write about Eve so that we could see into her life, we could see into how you made her, uh, the way you made her good, uh, the way that she sinned against you, and the way that you redeemed her and forgave her. I pray that it is enlightening for all of us, male or female, young or old, I pray that we are able to connect with this woman and And from her story, connect it to our story and move it forward, Lord, to what you have done in our lives and what you can do in the lives of of those around us. And so we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to start our character study in Genesis 1, verse 26. 126. I'm not going to have any scriptures on the screen because it would have taken the guys like forever to get it all up there. So get your Bibles out, get your apps out, share with a friend, look over their shoulder. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, 
Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Uh, Notice the plural language. Notice the them. Let them have dominion. He created them. He blessed them. He said to them. This leveling of the man and woman with responsibilities and charge over the earth. At this point, our opinion and our estimation of Eve should be one of queen. Adam is king, having dominion over all the earth. This first family should be held high in our eyes because the Lord called this family good. Genesis 2.15, the narrative continues from a different vantage point. So go there now. 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Here the Lord places a command and restriction on Adam and opens wide the freedoms. Eat of every tree in the garden, except for this one. We also see that Adam didn't have someone like him. He had the wonderful community with the Lord, but no one like him and no one to help him. And God declared this to be not good. No brothers, no sisters, no wife, not good. So what type of companion does the Lord create for Adam? Uh, We see the answer in in God's definition of the woman. And that is helper, helper fit for him. This word in Hebrew is ezer. Ezer is the word used to describe Eve. The helper fit for Adam, the helpmeet, if you have one of those old Bibles. Woman, the helper fit to man. Helper fit is often seen as a denigrating term. And uh, just denigrating for, for women and wives, I've, it comes across almost as less than. It comes across, uh, well, I, I've seen it used and misused in teaching to denote kind of servant and lowly. But when we see helper or easer like this, we miss the connection to the Holy Spirit. And when you look into the matter, the connection starts to rise up off the page. In scripture, easer is used over 100 times and mostly in reference to God, to God himself. The woman is easer and so is God. And many connotations when this word is used in the Bible include war counselor, razor. 
I don't know if you are, are hip to this, but all the rage on Twitter these days is applying different logical paths for decision-making in life and business, and they're called razors. A classic example of a razor is Occam's razor. You all heard of that? Occam's razor says, the simplest reason is the most likely one. This, this slices through the noise to get to the signal, and it's the word used for Eve, man's wife. And in a few minutes, we're going to sing a song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Familiar with that song? It's a beautiful song. I love it. But there's a line in there that's a little obscure. The song goes, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. And here's the weird line. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Ebenezer is not just a first name. We, uh, the only Ebenezer I've ever met is, uh, or met or heard about is Ebenezer Scrooge, right? But it's actually two words combined. Eben, which means stone, and Ezer, which means help. And so when we sing this line, and, and I love to try to take some of the inside language that we have at uh, at church sometimes, like we are all trying to sing, here I raise my Ebenezer, and half the rooms are like, I don't know what that means. And so just to decode that, Ebenezer, my stone of help, this is a thing that we're raising up to remember how God has helped us. And this is a type of commandion the Lord created in Eve, an Ezer, a razor, a help for Adam. Now let's look at a huge moment in Eve's life, her creation day and her wedding day. Verse 21 so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So God causes the man to nap, and a wonderful thing happens. A woman is created from the man's rib, a helpmate, a helper fit to him. Man was created from the dust of the ground and God's breath, but woman was made from the man's rib. Daughters and wives here today, this might be why cuddling with your dad or husband feels so nice. It's, it's home. Verse 23 says, Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This is the first pop love song. Right? Adam is a forerunner to Justin Timberlake or Usher. Adam says, at last, this at last is bone of my bones. And because of this union, this wedding, verse 24 says, therefore, because of this, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Adam and Eve First couple on earth, newly married and happy. God just officiated their wedding. They are united and whole, and they experience a pure unity that the word calls one flesh. So in looking at Eve so far, we see that this is how we were created to exist. Perfectly created, perfectly existing in the garden with perfect unity with the Lord and others. Eve is perfect. She is beautiful, she is newlywed, she is innocent, she is whip-smart military general war counselor Razor. Her presence elicits songs from her husband. She walks into the room and her husband starts singing like he's in a Disney cartoon. Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. 
Her home is probably neat and tidy. Her and Adam probably Marie kondo the garden and all the animals. And her Instagram would have been warm and inviting and inspiring. Uh, probably a little risque as well since they were naked and unashamed. All right, now Genesis 3 continues to describe what probably seemed like a normal day to them in the garden and shows how fast life can come at you. Let's see what happens at the couple's first military test, kingdom of light against the kingdom of darkness, the confrontation with the serpent, with Eve playing a key role. Genesis 3, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. The battle lines have been drawn, and we can see the opposing enemy's strength defined as crafty, a strategist. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Unfortunately, I've often heard it taught and preached that the enemy's strategy here was in terms of the serpent going after weakness by talking to the woman. He plays dirty going after women. But I wonder if the enemy isn't so self-deceived into believing in his inevitable victory that he's bold enough to go after the razor, to go after the military strategist, the helper fit. We see the enemy attack and tempt Jesus directly. Why is this situation so different? Maybe the serpent knew, and Adam wisely, that Adam wisely listened to his wife and heeded her counsel, and if he could trick her, he could take them both out. With the serpent's question, his craftiness is clear, and you can see he puts Eve on her back foot from the beginning. He both challenges Eve's understanding of the Lord's words and the trustworthiness of God. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Notice who is speaking to the enemy before we dissect the error of her words. It's not Adam big and strong and created first. It's not Adam charged with holding dominion over even a crafty creature like the serpent. It's not Adam on behalf of his bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh who he is with in this exchange. He's there with her and he didn't do anything. Someone needed to address the serpent and I don't think Eve gets much credit for doing so. We focus on the delivery and not the content. And one thing I found in my marriage, and maybe it's true in your marriage and relationships, is that my wife, Crystal, will often speak when I won't. She'll address the divide between us before I might. She'll offer correction to my attitude before I will. She'll offer, oh, she'll intercede between me and our kiddos before I might. And too often, I respond to any, any error in her delivery before I connect with the boldness of her words. And who am I to expect perfection from my bride when I deliver sinful, subpar performance daily? 
Eve spoke up, but she was tricked. She was deceived. She bought the lie the serpent fed her. She ate of the forbidden fruit and brought her husband in on the rebellion. Eve failed, Adam failed, mankind is now marked by this failure, this sin. And sin is disobeying God's commands. Doing what we ought not to do, not doing what we ought to do. So what's the fallout? Verse seven says, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. I think this seems to be where we learned our response to sin. Feeling shame, covering, hiding. The first family did this, we do this. Scripture goes on, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, yes, Lord, I sinned. I own my sin. Nope. He says, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Here we see more hiding. Now they're doing it together, both running away from the community of God. And when challenged by the Lord, Adam in one quick sentence blames God and Eve. This is your fault, God. You did this when you made this woman. I was just trying to take a nap. Take it up with her and yourself. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Eve pulls a classic church lady excuse, right? Satan made me do it. But she also names her sin clearly. I ate. This jumped out at me this week. Adam blames God and Eve. Eve owns her sin. Yes, she sinned. And our world is a hot mess because she was deceived. But in studying her this week, I I find I appreciate the way God made her more and more, and I see her strong characteristics in my wife, in my daughters, in my mother, in my friends. And we've, right now, so far, we've been looking clearly at her sin, and we'll look at the consequences and begin to move from Eve as failure to Eve as forgiven. Verse 8, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This little verse is what we call the first gospel, the proto-evangelion, the good news. And the bent in me towards justice really appreciates that the Lord goes after the serpent first. Starts in on him, and from that, it makes me grateful that the Lord is going to uh, put a stop to Satan's efforts on this earth to separate husbands from wives, families from God. It'll all come to an end. And the end that the Lord promises is that there will be a final showdown between the serpent and the offspring of Eve. Another light versus darkness battle. 
In this battle, the serpent will be defeated. In this battle, he will strike or wound, bruise the offspring of Eve, a man, and this man will bruise or crush the serpent's head. So the same word is in our Bibles if you've got the ESV, but the connotation are very different. One is a, a wounding and one is a crushing. Ultimately, the effects of sin will be reversed. What was broken will be mended. What was separated will be united. And Eve rightly hears the Lord's promise to the serpent and understands the head crusher will come from her, though with pain. And I've watched my wife give birth to five kiddos. I'm really sorry. All right. This verse promises a savior, a salvation And salvation comes in the form of Jesus. Jesus is God come to earth. He lived and loved perfectly. He was attacked by the serpent and killed on a cross, but he was ultimately victorious over the serpent, sin, and death when he rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. Jesus has been working to restore marriages and families and individuals since the very first family went sideways. And faith and hope in a head-crushing offspring, later to be revealed to Jesus as Savior, changes the situation for Adam and Eve. And it does, for the, it does the same for all those that call on the name of Jesus. This faith moves each of us, each of us, from failure to forgiven. And then there's this little detail in verse 21. A quiet picture of kindness and consideration that is so typical of God. It says, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Eve's efforts to clothe herself wouldn't have worked very well or probably been all that comfortable, right? If you've ever seen fig leaves, I grew up with one in my backyard. Uh, They are full of sticky sap. They're kind of pokey. They're going to wilt and rot away. Her efforts to cover herself are shoddy compared to the Lord's effort. The Lord sees this, and he makes her clothes out of skins, probably the first animal sacrifice for her, for her modesty, and to comfort her. He's considerate by taking into account she was acutely aware of her nakedness. He's so God to see the effects of sin, sin done by us or against us, and bring comfort and healing and dignity to those situations. The Lord clothes her. I would want us to take stock of the ways we might try to cover ourselves and consider going to the Lord for a better way. Chapter 4 starts with, Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Eve now enjoys what the Lord said would be pain in childbearing. And many people believe she had twins, two for the price of one, Cain and Abel. In naming Cain, we see Eve declaring trust in the promise that her offspring will crush the head of the serpent. She's saying that she has gotten a man. She has gotten an offspring. And I love her hope for the future. We're sitting thousands of years beyond her, looking forward to the Lord's return, and she's sitting here seemingly moments after a huge, life-altering sin, and she believes in salvation. Post-exile, she has gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And I, I think of this sort of as God is my co-pilot theology, right? 
I got this, Lord. But if I need anything while we're cruising at 30,000 feet, you can go get me a coffee. It's got a nugget of truth, but not the full meal. Yes, the Lord helps, but he's not our co-pilot. And this man, this offspring, this hoped-for serpent crusher, Cain, oh, he fails miserably too. He murders Eve's other man, Abel. In one day, she loses both her sons, one to murder and one to exile. Jumping ahead to Genesis 4.25, it says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. Here we see Eve name her third child a son. She calls him Seth. Seth's name and her declaration show a maturing of her faith. There's less independence. There's more reliance on the Lord. She named him God has appointed another offspring. God did this wonderful thing. God provided another head crusher. Eve is still longing for salvation, and she trusts the Lord she disobeyed to provide that Savior. Eve is one of the first converts to that proto-evangelion. What Eve sees in part, we see much clearer. She placed her faith in the one who would defeat Satan's sin and death, and Eve's line carries all the way through to Mary and her son, the Son of God, the Son of Man, Jesus. So let's compare Jesus, the offspring of Eve, to Eve herself in a moment of temptation. Let's go to Luke chapter 4. It's in the New Testament. I don't know what page it is on, on the Pew Bibles. Luke chapter 4, Luke writes, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned to the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, he's quoting from Deuteronomy, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written again from Deuteronomy, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he, that is the devil, took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him a final time also from Deuteronomy. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Eve was in a perfect garden. Jesus was in a barren wilderness without food or water for 40 days. Eve was with her husband. Jesus was alone. Eve was tempted with food. So was Jesus. Eve bent to the serpent's words. Did God actually say? Jesus stood strong against the challenge, if you are the son of God. Eve quoted the word of God wrongly. Jesus quoted sections of the book of Deuteronomy perfectly. 
Eve succumbed to the serpent's temptation. Jesus rebuked the devil. And Jesus ultimately defeated the enemy while on the cross, enduring that bruising that Genesis 3 explains. Bloodied and beaten, we see in Colossians 2, 13 through 15, and you who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Eve is a spectacular woman and a colossal failure. And because of her hope in a savior, she is forgiven. And I hope each of you, young and old, man and woman, boy and girl, can connect with the epic life of Eve, full of wins and failures. And I hope that everyone in this room has experienced faith in Jesus and called on his name to be saved, to be forgiven. Let's pray.